Let's go. Welcome to another episode of Let's Go Hockey Podcast. This is episode number six. I'm your host, Pete Cam with Elevated Hockey, as usual, my and, co-host here. And I'm your co-host, Danny Heath of Project Hockey, and I could not be more excited to talk about Lindsey Fry, who grew up in the same state as me, so it's a little near and dear to my heart to see fellow Arizonians coming up and making it and the way that she talked about, you know, the decision she had to make a, as a young hockey player to to switch to the girls game and that taking her all the way to Colorado, to Harvard, to the United States Olympic team where she got a, you'll have to wait to listen to that in the episode, but Ooh, teaser. It, it was exciting and she was, she was good and, and her mindset was unbelievable. What did you take from a coach? I agree on all those points. I mean, I think, uh, I think she has a super interesting story and I love the, like talking to her and, and listening about how she's her path through hockey, but then also now that she's converted in, into giving back to the game and using her platform as a coach to impact not, not only the players uh, across the country, but specifically in the Arizona market uh, and also working with other coaches to, to develop hockey in general, but hockey specifically in the girls' game. So I think there's a ton of insights, uh, both from her story and from kind of her advice about her coaching philosophy. So I'm pretty excited to get into it. So well, let's that, go. Let's go. Let's do it. This interview was brought to you by HockeyWolf.com. Check out HockeyWolf.com for all things hockey. They are a fantastic brick-and-mortar and online retailer. They've got everything you need from skates and sticks to shower slips and hoodies. If you love the game of hockey, you got to check out HockeyWolf.com. And for all of you coaches and organizational leaders out there, don't forget to check out Hockey Wolf's team sales option on their website. Next time your team needs helmets or gloves, sticks, skates, jerseys, go to HockeyWolf.com. Get everything that you need so that your guys and girls are ready to hit the ice. Go check them out. Go support Hockey Wolf because they support us. That's H-O-C-K-E-Y-W-O-L-F.com. Born in the beautiful state of Arizona, grew up playing for the Junior Polar Bears, then moved and played for the Colorado Select Program. Played for the U18 World Junior USA Hockey with the names of Kessel, Coyne Schofield, and Decker. Played four years at Harvard University. Don't ask. She was in there. 22 goals her sophomore year, over a point a game, uh, both her sophomore and junior years. And then, hey, had a little stint playing in the 2014 Olympics where she earned a silver medal. Owner and head coach of Lindsay Fry Hockey, NHL Hockey Ambassador, President of the Arizona Kachinas Hockey Association, Lindsay Fry. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys? Awesome. Happy Great. to have you on the, on the, right on. the podcast here today, yeah. Lindsay. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, this is great. Well, why don't we just jump right into it, if you're all right with that? Sure. Yeah, well, so why don't, Lindsay, why don't you tell us, I mean, Danny just kind of ran through a couple, you know, a couple of stops along the way that you had and some of the accomplishments, but why don't we uh, get a little dive into your background, where you're from, kind of what your playing career and, and kind of what brought you to play at Harvard, and then we can talk about the Olympics after that. Sure. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Chandler, Arizona, um, came from a family that had zero hockey background. Um, my parents had never had skates on before. So uh, for me, it all started with the Mighty Ducks movies. Um, absolutely fell in love with it, especially D2. D2 was definitely my movie. 
Um, and it was actually kind of cool. My dad was commuting back and forth to Southern California at the time. So I actually got to go to some real ducks games and, um, loved it. They got me some of those like Fisher price skates that you strap onto your shoes and I would just rollerblade for hours. Uh, finally put a stick in my hands, started as a roller hockey player when I was about five years old. And then when I was six, um, the Arizona Coyotes had come to town they started building more rinks around Arizona and they built one in my hometown of Chandler. So started playing ice hockey there. Um, but there were really no girls playing in the state. So, uh, ended up playing with the boys, loved it. I've been five, eight since I was like 11. So <laughs> had no problem, uh, playing with the boys, hold my own, uh, definitely was a, a big hitter on my team and loved that. And, um, but eventually realized that, you know, while all my, my boy teammates, their dream was to play in the NHL. Mine was going to be a little different. Um, and it was going to be hopefully playing on an Olympic team someday. So I knew if I was going to do that, um, was ultimately going to have to be recruited to go play in college and probably wasn't going to get recruited for a women's team playing on a boys team in Chandler, Arizona. So, uh, one of my teammates from Arizona, Aaron Kane, at the time, Wenty. Uh, she and I both went to Colorado, uh, played for the Colorado Select, and we literally would commute every other weekend, get on a plane with one of our parents and either go to practices or go to games. And it was a lot of travel, but totally worth it. Um, like Danny said, ultimately, I was able to make it on to. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, what a commitment. I mean, how, how many seasons did you do that for? Four. So four, all so through high school. Years. Wow. That's crazy. Yep. That, that's a huge commitment to the game. And, uh, yeah. And actually my freshman year, I double rostered. So I played on my boys team locally and then played on the girls team. And that was actually really hard because I was the captain of my boys team and I had to make a decision with how USA hockey roles are set up. I had to choose which one I was going to like pursue USA hockey nationals with and my boys team wasn't going to make it out of the state. So I had to literally like sit on the sidelines and watch my boys team get thumped during the state championships because I chose my girls team and we ended up going to nationals and I think we got third that year, but yeah, so that was rough, but huge commitment. Um, it actually kind of worked out. Uh, when I was a junior, I switched over to online school cause I was just, by that time I was playing on the under 18 team and I was missing so much school with all the travel. So I started flying. I would stay in Colorado for like two weeks at a time, come home, practice with my brother's team, fly back. I mean, it was, it was a ton of travel, but um, definitely worth it. Had the opportunity to get recruited to go play at Harvard and um, ultimately was able to, to excel there. So it was a lot of fun. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah what, a, what a commitment to the game and, and path. And it's, uh, it's funny to me how, uh, players like like yourself and like Danny come from uh it seems like the common story starting with roller hockey and jumping to uh to ice from those non-traditional areas but you can see how the game translates so well back and forth that the ice career just took off for you after you started uh after those high school years so that's great yeah and I've kind of gone full circle now back to uh to roller I play I play more roller now than I do ice (laughs) funny that's awesome I need to uh I miss roller hockey. I, I was ta- I was talking uh, before this just about like if you could go to college and play roller hockey, I would have never switched ice because it's the best. And so it's totally. it is cool. And like 
I can't honestly, before we dive any deeper, I can't thank you enough for coming on here. I just think it's cool being, being from the same state um, and the hockey world is already small enough, but when you shrink it in Arizona, uh, it's even cooler. And I, I love to hear that your story is a lot like mine where like the coyotes just came in and hockey was kind of new and your family didn't play hockey. And so it's, it's cool to hear that stuff. And it's even cooler when you hear about some, one of us, one of our own making it uh, to play division one. Uh, where you had a ton of success in, at school and then you even went on to to play for your country. And so if you want to dive into that a little bit about, uh, you know, world championships under 18s or even obviously the Olympics where you got a silver medal, which I'm not sure why you're not wearing it, but uh, <laughs> maybe, if it, maybe if it was a gold, you would be more, right? But uh, there you go. You know, there you go. If you want to, if you kind of want to jump into that and just talk about what it was like to play for your country, talk about the whole experience with the Olympics and, uh, like, was it different than just playing at Harvard and, and kind of just whatever you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'll start with my first uh, year of under 18s. I mean, I was a junior in high school um, and we played in uh, Germany. It was the first time I'd ever been overseas. Um, we ended up going in overtime in the final game against Canada and winning in OT and I think for that to be like my first experience with Team USA, like winning gold and being like in this other part of the world was incredible. Um, and I think that's when you like, when I first kind of got the taste of the significance of what that really meant. Um, and, you know, just as what I was 16, 17 years old to like have our arms all wrapped around each other, singing the anthem was incredible. Um, uh, we didn't end up winning uh, in 2010 for my second year of under 18s. But, um, you know, going into the Olympic year, it's kind of interesting. Like a lot of people think that if you make a team, like you're just on the national team. And that's, that's actually not true. Um, you have to constantly be remaking the team. So there are usually two or three training camps per year that are invite only. Um, and from there you either get selected or not to go to either world championships or the four nations tournament. So, um, I think something that people don't realize is like your spot is never safe and you have to constantly be grinding to earn it. Uh, so I actually didn't make a senior national team, my freshman or sophomore year of college. And which is kind of crazy to think about because that kind of brings us into 2012. And there's this moment I always tell people about where, after my sophomore season, um, which like you said, I had a pretty good year, my sophomore year scored a couple goals and, um, 22, my coach pulled me aside, <laughs> 22. There you go. My coach <laughs> pulled me aside. And at that time she was projected to be the Olympic coach for 2014. And we had our end of the year meeting and she was just like, Lindsay, do you want this? And I was like, I mean, yeah, everybody wants this. And she's like, no, do you really want this? And I, I like took a second and I go, coach, do you think I even have a chance? And she like had kind of a, a long pause. <laughs> and then she goes, you know, first three lines, probably not. But that fourth line is open for the taking. And that for me was just like the switch. That's what changed everything. Um, I took that summer. I worked my butt off, just changed everything. I changed the way I ate, the way I trained. I just, I went all out. And I think part of it was just, Having, having experienced the under 18 team and knowing that feeling of what it was like to represent your country was, I, I just, 
I, I wanted it and I wanted it not just for that reason, but also because I knew it would be so significant for the state of Arizona. So um, I knew I'd regret it if I didn't go all out and give it an honest chance. And uh, so that's what I did and was fortunate enough to make it onto the 2013 world championship team where we won in Ottawa. And then uh, even again, like 2013, it's April we just win a world championship and we still all have to come back in June to try out for the Olympic team. So we tried out in Lake Placid on the 1980 ice, which was kind of cool. Um, cool. They took 23 of us, no 25 of us and centralized us in Boston for that season leading into the Olympics. And we had to be down to 20 by January 1st of 2014. So, which is like crazy when you think about it, right? Like, Practices where you're supposed to be able to go like work hard, not grip your stick too tight, try different things. And it was a grueling like six month tryout basically. So um, it was a, it was a really tough process, but uh, just, you know, mentally stayed locked in, gave it everything I had and uh, was fortunate enough to make the team. And um, like I said, I mean, obviously representing your country, there's, there's nothing like it. Um, Obviously, we wish we would have been able to win and, and bring it home. But uh, like I said, for me, I think the significance really had more to do with Arizona. And it really has driven a lot of what I do today because like, I was the very first hockey player, male or female, from Arizona to play in an Olympics. So I knew that even just being there, whether we won a medal or not, just being there was going to be able to give me a platform to change Arizona hockey forever. And that was a huge motivator for me. Um, you know, I was, I was okay being done after that Olympics. I had one more year at Harvard um, and then I effectively retired and uh, have never regretted it for a second because what we've been able to do in Arizona through the hard work of a lot of people and, and through the resources of the Coyotes has been incredible and we just want to keep it going. So it's, it's been, it's been an amazing journey and the Olympics has given me so much and I'm just honored to say I was a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I like you've done more for our state than I would say anybody, right. With going to the Olympic games and, and doing what you did. And honestly, I had no idea. So if, if you could dive a little bit deeper, I, I always knew that, um, you know, the, the female USA team would always go and kind of play together for a while. And then like they would dedicate that whole year um, to playing in the Olympics. But I, I had no idea that they brought more than what they needed to the beginning. And so if you kind of want to talk about that and when like your mindset during that whole thing and if your coach was like, OK, well, today you're on like the fifth line and yesterday you're on the third line. <laughs> and it, if that if that was a thing or um, and just kind of just that whole process. And when, when you finally found out that like, okay, Hey, I'm going, this is awesome. Uh, and, and talk about how that, how that was. And cause I, I know there's going to be a ton of young female players, yeah. hopefully from, from our region that are listening to this and like, it can be done, right. You're, you're uh, a walking Testament to that. So if you can just jump into that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I knew right out of the gate, like I was, I, I was not going to be, the first line goal scorer on that team. Like that was my role at Harvard and it wasn't going to be my role on the Olympic team. So I think the first thing I did was shift my mentality to knowing what my, my role was and understanding it and owning it. So I knew that that whole, all I could control 
during that entire however many months we were training, um, knowing that five of us were going to get cut, all I could control was how hard I was working. Um, and so that's just what I tried to do. I mean, I, I lived for when we would do sprints, which is like so opposite of me growing up. I hated doing any type of conditioning, but I loved it during the Olympic year because I could control it. It was, I could control how hard I worked. I couldn't necessarily control if I was going to get dangled by Hillary Knight, but Mm -hmm. I could control how hard I was going to work. So, um, that was, that was the big thing. I just kept trying to tell myself, um, something that, is interesting because coach stone was my coach at Harvard. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, well, it probably was easier for you to make the team. It's like, well, okay. Yeah. She saw like the good times, but she also would see the bad times at Harvard. She would see any practice where I wasn't working hard and she knew me better than a lot of people. And, um, we did develop a really good relationship. I think one of the hardest things about the Olympic year was she completely cut us out. So there were three of us who were, current Harvard players who were trying to make that team and she wouldn't talk to us hardly at all. It was like pretty much all business. She would never have a conversation just one-on-one. She would always have another coach there. And that was really hard for me because, you know, when I was away from home, she was kind of the adult in my life that kept me grounded and who I could go to and talk to. And I completely lost that during what was mentally one of the most challenging years of my entire life. So um, that piece was definitely tough, but uh, you know, all we could just really kind of focus on ourselves. And to your point about like moving around on lines, I do have a good story for that. So Kessel actually was hurt. Um, Amanda was hurt for most of the Olympic training period. Uh, I think she went, she had a concussion at one point and then had something else going on. And so for the first pretty much three or four months of training, someone needed to fill her spot, which was on the second line with Kendall and Decker. And I got put in that position. And it was funny because at first I was like, coach, like, don't put me there. I'm not fast enough to keep up with those two. Like I'm a fourth line grinder. I know my job, (laughs) like it's all good. And she put me up there and, you know, at first I was just trying to keep up. And then like after a couple weeks, couple months, like I was keeping up and we were starting to score goals and, um, I think it was either in December or January. So we're getting like real close to the games and Kess came back, mm-hmm. went back with her line. I got moved down to the fourth line and our first game after that had happened was like some scrimmage against the high school boys team in Boston. And my parents were in town and I'm like, Oh, like, it'll be fine. It's like just a <laughs> scrimmage. We'll still play no big deal. And we got like two shifts and really? it was that was kind of my moment of like, oh, okay. Like I'm not a second line, get to play every shift type of thing anymore. I am a fourth line, play when you're told type of player. And mm-hmm. um, it was, you know, mentally obviously really tough, emotionally really tough. And um, But I'm thankful that that happened before we got to Sochi because by the time we got there, I knew my place. And um, so, yeah, it was kind of a turbulent thing to go through, but obviously totally worth it. And, uh, I think for anybody who, everybody always loves to like admire the Olympians, right? They're like, Oh man, like, yeah, they, they work hard. Like people don't really understand how much freaking work goes into it. And it's, it's once every four years. It's not like, Oh, I had a, I had an average season. Like I'll have a better one next year. It's like, no, it's, it's once every four years. And if you're like me, like you may only get to do it once. 
So it's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. So you got to take advantage of that opportunity when it presents itself for sure. Well, what, what, what you were just talking through one thing stood out to me that, you know, the, the goal, one of the goals of this podcast is, is to relay, um, helpful information for like the development of coaches and players, but players specifically. So with some of the, what you just said strikes a chord with me in, in that is that, you know, the ability to accept your role. And I think that when a lot of players, um, especially higher end players, as you're, um, you know, jumping levels or you're like the big fish in a little pond and also you move up to that next level, that's a, a differentiating factor for a lot of players, boys or girls, where you're jumping to that next level and it's hard to find success right out of the gate. And you've kind of got to accept that role um, and get your feet under you and kind of fight through that adversity in order to find success. And it sounds like, you know, with you jumping from every level you've jumped to and then that jump from college hockey to the Olympics, um, you know, your role wasn't the exact same on the team, but by being able to wrap your head around that and accept that role and still be a positive team member, I'm, I'm going to imagine that was, you know, you were happy with that decision as in the, because of the way it went out. So I think that's a huge takeaway for, for the people listening and for, especially for some of the younger players that are coming from smaller markets that maybe are the big fish in the little pond. When you jump up that next level, it's, you got to wrap your head around that, that position. So, mm-hmm. or that, that role. So I, I, well, I love I was, that. Great yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I, the only other thing I'd add is like, my college career exemplifies that perfectly. Like my freshman year, I came in, I barely trained. Like I didn't do anything to get ready. Cause I was like this cocky kid from out West thought I was like, just going to kill it in college. And I was like a third line player because I was out of shape. I wasn't strong. I had never played with all these people in Boston before. Um, they were bigger, older, stronger, faster than me. And then sophomore, junior year, had a couple really good seasons, was definitely relied on as a goal scorer, went to the Olympics, everything changed. And like, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but like, oddly enough, during the Olympic year, I think I lost skill because I wasn't, I wasn't using it. I wasn't using those types of skills for a year. So when I came back, my role even at Harvard changed. Like I was on the first line, but we had a really deep team. And so the reason I don't have as many goals my senior year as I did my, my sophomore and junior year is because our job was to shut down the other team's first line so that our second and third line of like freshmen could go out and score. And right. it's just like everything, it evolves and it changes. And if you as a player can't adjust with that, you're really going to struggle. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that one. And I think, you know, I think that that gives a good segue too, is, is that some of those lessons that you've learned um, throughout your career and exactly what you were just talking about, like taking a different role on your team as a senior than you did um, earlier on, that's, I'm going to imagine, helped with some of the transition into coaching and some of the, the knowledge that you're imparting to the younger players now. So tell me a little bit about how that, that transition to coaching happened, how you got involved with that, and then some of the, you know, what you're enjoying and what you're doing with, with your athletes now. Yeah. Um, so the ironic thing is I, (laughs) when I was a senior, um, I was doing everything I could to not stay involved in hockey. I viewed pursuing a career of any kind in hockey as a failure and a waste of my education, as awful as that sounds. Um, you know, a lot of my friends were getting internships at Goldman Sachs and, uh, going to medical school. And I'm thinking like, if I become a hockey coach, then I've failed. And, but I knew I wanted to at least like give back to my communities. So my idea initially with Lindsay Fry hockey 
was, okay, I'm going to come home. I'm going to run a camp in Chandler. I'm going to run a camp in Colorado and like call it good. Maybe I'll do it for two years. Like that was, that was my mindset. And what's crazy is, and, and also like to give you guys some context, my major in college was history of science. So I had like zero business background. Like I <laughs> had no idea what I was going to do. Um, so I ran my Chandler camp and I started realizing like, there's gotta be other, like once I saw the impact that I could make on some of these kids, um, from a coaching perspective, I think that's when it really clicked. Like, Oh, there are a lot of other places throughout the country where there's girls playing and nobody's going and giving them any, any attention. Like, it's not like Minnesota where there's Olympians everywhere. Nobody is talking to these kids in New Mexico. Nobody's talking to these kids in Seattle or Montana. So I literally started Googling, like, Montana girls hockey, Alabama girls hockey, like, all the, the most random places that I could think of. And that was, like, the start of Lindsay Fry Hockey is I just started reaching out to all these people and saying, hey, I'm an Olympic athlete, would love to come run, run a camp. And so I think I was really fortunate um, that, again, I had the Olympic platform to kind of get me there. Um, but it gave me an opportunity to coach a ton of kids right out of the gate. And so I think it accelerated my learning as a coach. And, and believe me, like I was not good at the beginning. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I was trying to explain things like, a college coach would explain it to someone. I was definitely like, I fell into that trap. I remember trying to do like full ice one-on-one -on -one drills with mites, like just bad. And so, uh, I, I, you know, definitely was humbled after year one, definitely like went and actually learned a lot of the USA hockey stuff and the American development model and all that. And that definitely helped me as a coach. But, um, you know, I try to really differentiate myself. Everybody can teach skills. Um, and I think, you know, everybody teaches them in a slightly different way, which is great and why it's valuable to have so many different skills coaches out there. But I definitely try to differentiate my camps by doing those additional things that made a difference for me. So things like nutrition, things like mental skills, um, things like team building, just all those things that matter that you don't practice on the ice. I bring those into my camps and I think that's really shaped who I am as a coach. It's a lot more holistic approach. For sure. And one thing I would add, like you, you keep saying like I had the Olympic platform and you, you do, but I would say you, like you earned that platform. And that's something I, I want to come across to anybody who's listening is that like, so for your goals, like you said it earlier in this, where like the boys on your team, they wanted to go to the NHL and your goal was to make it to the Olympics. And there's a lot of guys in the NHL that will change from first line center top goal scorer to, okay, I'm going to be a fourth line grinder because I want to make money playing this game. And you were able to do that too and change your mindset. And so you weren't going to go in there and be the Kessel or the Knight and, and, and score a bunch of goals, but you could go there and add a bunch of value to that team. And so um, I just want to point out that you, you mean you earn that platform and I love that you're giving it back. And one thing I, I want to dig into is the idea of like, girls hockey and female hockey and the idea that um i so i posted something on instagram two all-stars a game ago when uh coin schofield um blew up the fastest skater competition i'm sure you saw that mm -hmm. yep. yeah yeah it, it, it was unbelievable and so i just posted um 
that video and said, our best women hockey players are starting to become our best hockey players. Like I just took out the word women because the way she skated, it looked like an NHL skater, boy skater, right? And so um, it ended up being one of my most popular things because so many people commented on it like, hey, you're an, you're an idiot. Girls will never be that good. Girls will never uh, be able to play, blah, blah, blah. And so I, I just kind of want to talk to someone who lived it where, yeah, I mean, you had to you had to go the route of being a female player in a, in a predominantly male focused sport. And so if you, if you could talk about that a little bit and, um, and dive back a little bit into where like you had to make the change to get, I'm going to play all girls hockey now. Uh, and, and just your idea on like, I mean, do you agree with that? Like are our women players just, their <laughs> skill is insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow. Okay. There's a lot to dive a, in there. There's a lot. There. So <laughs> there's, there's a lot. Uh, I'll start with kind of like making my transition from boys to girls hockey. So like I said, I mean, I was an absolute thumper. Like I loved hitting. I was, I hated that girls hockey didn't have hitting. It made me not want to play it. I didn't want to make the switch. Um, when my parents kind of told me like, Hey, you're, you're going to play on a girl's team and here are all the reasons why. Like I, I was logical enough to know that they were right, but I have like this very vivid memory of being probably like 12 or 13 and them telling me that and like sobbing my eyes out in the shower. Like I was just so upset that I had to make this switch. And then I made the switch and I freaking loved it because one, it's, you're not eliminating the physicality of the game. You're eliminating the open ice hits, which like, by the way, are basically being taken out of the NHL right now anyway. Um, A lot of, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, that's kind of being eliminated across the board. Um, It's becoming the women's side of the game is much more of a skill speed finesse game. And I love that. You score a lot of goals. You make a lot of great plays. It's like, it's, it's a huge part of what makes hockey so fun. Um, so once I switched, I realized like, this is awesome and I love it. Um, and then I think to kind of fast forward to, you know, some of the haters, I guess, who still haven't really bought into the idea that, you know, women's hockey is legit. Um, Mm -hmm. like I had coaches who coached me from the time I was nine years old all the way up through high school who were at a bar watching our games when we were playing in Sochi and like turning to each other being like, wow, I had no idea the women's game was this fast. So I think a lot of it is just like educating um, and exposing a lot of predominantly male fans who don't believe that women's hockey is, is a viable product. Um, They just need to see it. And more often than not, I think that's, that's the piece of feedback we get. Wow. I had no idea how fast it was. I had no idea how physical it was. I had no idea how skilled they were. And it's like, well, okay, that's, that's why you have to watch. And I think the NHL is being really smart right now because, you know, women's hockey today is not a financial, it's not a viable business model. It's just not. Um, it's not going to sell out seats in at a price point that's going to be able to pay players a living wage. Um, they've tried it. It hasn't worked. So I think the NHL is being really smart, though, by using its platform to allow the women to uh, showcase their product on a national and an international level by having them out for the skills competitions and things like that so that 
the people who don't think that women's hockey is, is a real thing can start to see it more. And then you can kind of unroll the legitimate long-term sustainable league. Um, do I think that women should play in the NHL? No. I, I mean, yeah, Kendall Klein can skate faster than all those guys, but all it takes is her like running into basically Chara's knee and she's done. So right. there's, you know, there is that like biological factor that has to be taken into account. But um, I, I do think though that it's, you're absolutely right. Like nobody ever says like male hockey players, it's just hockey mm-hmm. players, but then it's always either girls hockey players or female hockey players. And yeah. um, I do appreciate you kind of having that mindset because it's, it's, it's different, but it's, the skill is still there. Like something that, sorry to kind of rant, but something that really bothered me with this whole soccer thing was like basically the guy saying, um, I don't know if you guys followed it, but basically the head of soccer of us soccer saying like, well, yeah, the women should get paid less because it's, it requires less skill to play that game. It requires less skill and strength. It's like Hmm. the women are lifting the exact same way as the men they're training just as hard for just as long, like just because the like physical output is different because one is a man and one is a woman doesn't mean that the input is different. And I just, I think that's what people have to continue to realize and just respect that they are different, but they're equally as fun to watch. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, and back on what you're the piece you mentioned about the NHL picking up, uh, adding like a women's component into the all-star games. I mean, I think that's fantastic because in, you know, in USA hockey and across Canada, like the women's, the girls game is the fast by far, like exponentially the fastest growing piece of the game. Um, and you know, and part of that is, is those little girls getting a chance to look up to athletes like you that have been there and done that and, and become role models for them. And so if you look at, you know, like outside of, Minnesota and the East coast where they, they have those college athletes to look up to and go to those games and see in person, the rest of the country just doesn't have that readily accessible to them except for once every four years at the Olympics. And that's a long time in between, you know, an opportunity to really showcase that segment of the game to that growing population of players. And so I think like, I I remember watching, you know, started with, with that fast skater competition, but last year, the, uh, the three on three, the women's three on three was like electric. It was awesome. It was like, I I was like, I rewound a bunch of those plays and watched them over and over again. Like it was, it was awesome. And so I think having for the the girls piece of the game, having that platform to showcase that game and help grow and inspire more, uh, more enjoyment, more participation across a lot of different levels. I think it's huge for just hockey in general. So I'm, I'm all for it. I I think it's pretty fantastic. So, um, let me, let me, let me roll that into my next question here. So, you know, we're talking about, inspiring young girls um boys and girls young young hockey players to play what's what's some advice that you would have for some of those those players that are out there and working hard and setting their their goals yeah i mean honestly i think i think having big goals is great i think working hard toward those goals is is amazing um honestly my biggest piece of advice is just make sure you don't burn yourself out and lose the fun and the love of the game. Um, you know, I think I, I definitely, I never played other sports growing up. Um, and I I think by the time I got to my senior year after the Olympics was done, like I was, 
I was so mentally and physically burnt out that it was, you know, I, again, I've never looked back for a second. I have no regrets, but it definitely made it easier to walk away. So, you know, I look at some of these like nine-year-olds who are freaking training like they're pros and I think it's awesome. And I think it's great that they're working on their skills, but at the same time, like allow yourself to be a kid, give yourself a mental break, go play soccer for six weeks or do something different so that you miss hockey. Because I just, I think we see it so much anymore. Everybody's on social media comparing themselves to one another and, oh, well, Johnny down the street is, he's training for two hours a day. So I need to train for three. And it's like, dude, you're 12. Like, go hang out with your friends, go do something fun, like get your mind off of it for a little bit. Um, I think that's my biggest thing. And everybody's different and everybody has different needs when it comes to that kind of stuff. So um, I just, whatever it is for you, don't train just for the sake of training. Train because you love the game, <clears throat> you enjoy training, you enjoy working hard. Um, and, and just make sure that you do what you need to do to take care of yourself mentally so that you don't burn out before you know you get to where you're trying to go is my biggest piece of advice. Yeah, I think that's solid advice for you know boys and girls at any level. I think that's important to have a little rest and a little time away from the game. We talked about that on an earlier episode about being able to kind of refuel that battery and, and refire up uh, a love for the game. Uh, let me, the other side of that coin, what about advice for, for a youth hockey coach out there? What, what, <laughs> you had an opportunity to it. Cause I mean, there, there's a lot of coaches out there that are, are a lot of different skill, skill levels and experiences, um, boys, boys and girls coaches. What, what kind of advice would you have for a youth coach that's um, coaching today? Um, Honestly, I think the biggest thing is just remember that you're not coaching hockey players, you're coaching people who play hockey. And what I mean by that is when I say, you know, my coaching style is very holistic. Um, I, I think that's, that's the route that coaches should be taking, especially at the youth level. Like you are responsible for helping this kid develop into a good human, not just a good hockey player. So, um, you know, we, there's a team here locally. It's a, it's a 10 U team and their kids are getting like three shifts a game. And to me, it's like, I just, I don't know. I feel like when it comes to youth hockey, like, yes, you want to teach people, teach kids life lessons and things like that. But I also think there's a time and place. Like at the end of the day, your role is to develop them. Um, make sure that they're, they're actually getting to play, make sure that um, they are, having the opportunity to build things like their confidence, um, like their, their mental toughness, all that, um, without making them hate the sport. So I think, I think that's our biggest responsibility as coaches is to make sure that these kids love the sport. And I think the best compliment that a coach can ever get is if a hundred percent of their team decides to play hockey again next year. If you've got a coach who, you know, 40% of their team quits, every season or at the end of every season, like that's, that's a major problem. So um, I'd say just make sure that they're, they're having fun. Um, don't forget why <laughs> you do it, why they're doing it. Um, and then I think the other thing that I would say is, and this is going to sound a little ironic, but I was talking on my podcast not too long ago with another local skills coach here in the Valley. And we talk about how just like, you know, I think, I think coaches today, like, everybody's trying to monetize their, their coaching. And that's, that's totally fine. Like I do it, everybody does it and that's totally fine. But like, 
just don't, don't rip on other coaches. Like I think something that I love about what Danny does is he's always like hyping up other skills coaches. He's always hyping up other accounts that are teaching skills like he is. And I think that's so important because at the end of the day, like if we're just ripping each other down, it doesn't make us better as youth coaches. Um, I think we're only better when we grow together and we learn from each other. So um, those would be my, my two pieces of advice. Nice. I think those are both really strong pieces of advice. I love the the first one you talked about. Um, I, I picked up, uh, I listened to a talk one time where the guy gave a, a lot of reasons why you ne- never, basically mantra of never be a player's last coach. And if, yeah. uh, if, you, can, if you know, if a player is psyched to come back to the rink the next season, you've done a good job, whatever level you're at. Yep. So I appreciate it. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, man, I loved all that. Like, the idea you're not coaching hockey players uh and and we always talk on this podcast about leaving the game better than we found it and like that's that's a big goal of ours is that you know if something were to happen to us today that the game of hockey is in a better spot than when than when we found it whenever our journey started and you're clearly doing that and I want to jump into that a little bit because I I know you you have a podcast that you're you're doing and then you're also with the Kachinas and I know uh, Aaron Wenty helps out with that a lot where, I mean, she's a local Arizona product who played her college hockey at Vermont. So it's cool to, to see you girls coming back and, and leaving the game better than you found it. And so if you want to touch base on your podcast and then, and jump into, to your hockey association, that'd be awesome. Yeah. You want me to talk about my podcast a little bit? Yeah. Well, what's that? What's, what's it all about for that? And where, where can people find that and, and tune in? Yeah. Um, so right now it's, it's the working title of, uh, the Lindsay Fry hockey audio experience. And, um, really what I want it to be, like I go to obviously a lot of different ranks traveling around doing my camps and it doesn't matter if you are in the mountains of Montana or in the biggest rink in Boston, like everybody's talking about the same stuff. Everybody's got the same challenges. Everybody's got, you know, the same crazy hockey parent, like everybody's got the same stuff going on, but the way that a small town in New Mexico handles something may benefit a group in California. So ultimately my goal with the podcast is just to really kind of bring on different people from around the country and around the world to talk about some of these different issues in hockey and solutions to some of those issues so that we can ultimately help each other and really scale um, the improvements to the game. Kind of like you said, leaving it better than we found it. So that's, that's ultimately with the goal of the podcast. Um, It's pretty new. It's 10 episodes in. So Um, but go check it out. And, uh, it's now what's nice is people are starting to engage a little bit on social and actually asking for different types of content. So right now somebody, uh, is asking, you know, can you do a panel with people at different walks of life? So like have a 10 year old, a 16 year old, a college player and an adult player on there together talking about why they love the game. Um, I think that's awesome. I never would have thought about that. So it's, I'm trying to make it really community driven and, um, cause that's ultimately who it's for. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the podcast and, and my mission with it. Um, as far as everything we're doing here in Arizona, uh, we've, we really kind of have spearheaded two programs. Um, and when I say we definitely not just me by myself, um, like you said, Aaron Kane is her last name now, but Aaron Wenty Kane has been 
a phenomenal asset, local, like you said. Um, Katie McGovern, who is also yeah. a local product. She played at uh, Minnesota Duluth. And then we've got a couple, uh, Matt Schott. I don't know if you remember Schottsy, but he, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. he's our amateur hockey director at the Arizona Coyotes, so he's been huge. And then a couple out-of-state people, um, Natalie Rossi, Vanessa Main. So we've, we've really got a great team of people and former hockey players who are making this happen. And we started three years ago with our Small Fries program, which is an all-girls continue-to-play program. And when we started it, our goal was really, you know, one, we were seeing a lot of girls drop out after Little Howlers, which is our Coyotes Learn to Play program. We would have girls come in, they'd do the six-week program, and then they'd quit. So we were like, one, we dove into why. A lot of it was they were intimidated by the boys. They were intimidated by the male coaches out on the ice. They were afraid to mess up in front of other people. Like it was just a safety and a confidence issue. So we thought, okay, well, what if we create a summer-long program where we really help the girls develop their skills and confidence and have them be with other girls coached by women? And so that's what Small Fries is. Um, and it has been a huge success. Our retention rates have done a complete 180. Um, we're, we're keeping girls in the game, which is huge, and really developing that base for girls hockey here. So the next step of that was, okay, well, now where do we send them? There in my lifetime, which has not been that long, there have been like five or six different attempts at a girls hockey association here in Arizona. And each time there's only like two or three girls teams at any time. And so we said, okay, if we, we know the girls are there, we see it in the USA hockey numbers. There's like 700 girls playing in the state. How do we only have two or three girls teams? So we thought, okay, well, what if we created, now that we've got some momentum with small fries, what if we created a, an infrastructure for a girls hockey association? And that's what the Arizona Kachinas is. And we launched this past season. Um, we were hoping to get like four or five teams. We ended up with nine, uh, which has been incredible. And uh, we have mites all the way up through uh, 19U. And it's just been amazing. And we won a couple banners this year. And I think it was just really like a strong proof of, okay, if we build it, they will come <laughs> as crazy as that sounds. But um, now we've, we've, we're trying to take it to the next level and really scale it up. I think the crazy thing is with nine teams, we're only capturing like 20 something percent of girls that are playing here. So there really is a lot of growth potential and we're hoping to have 12 or 13 teams next year and just continue to grow from there. But um, it's been a huge team effort. It's been like a five year project in the making. So to finally see it all come to fruition has been really exciting. Good for you. That sounds fantastic. Getting the, uh, the foundation built for something pretty special there in Arizona. That sounds, that sounds awesome. Good for you. Very cool. Well, Thank you. And the other thing, the other thing I'd add real quick to that is another reason why it works is because we get, um, we have two ACHA teams in town, women's teams with Grand Canyon university and Arizona state. Um, we pay to certify every single one of those girls as coaches. And so they come out and help coach with our programs. And it just creates this awesome, like female hockey ecosystem. So um, we've gotten a lot of help and it's just, it's, it's just cool to see the community rally around it. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. One of my, uh, one of the girls I've worked with up here in Montana at my elevated camps is playing for Arizona state right now. Oh so yeah. 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 
Yeah, she went to, I do a camp in Whitefish and she came, I think, two years ago. So that's awesome. Awesome. Small world that the hockey world is, right? Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Well, let's, let's end on a positive note there with all the, the progress you're making in Arizona. Um, before we jump off, is it, where else can somebody find you if they want to reach out and ask you questions or start following you and to learn more? Yeah, um, so I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of it. Uh, working on my TikTok game. It's not great yet, but we'll <laughs> get there. Um, but I kind of have two accounts for each. So you can either follow my at Fry Hockey account. That one's going to be exclusively hockey. Um, and then if you want to kind of see more into my personal perspective on things, uh, a lot more of the mental performance stuff is over on my personal accounts, which is if you just type in Lindsay Fry or Lindsay Fry 18, you'll find it. Um, so they can follow me there or you can go to my website, fryhockey.com and have a lot of stuff up there, blogs, camps. I have like hockey short stories for younger kids that they can read if they want to. So yeah, all, all kinds of different ways. Awesome. We'll put those in the, uh, the episode notes and some people can follow along, but well, yeah, truly thank you for taking the time to come talk to us today. It's awesome to hear about your journey and all you're doing to help grow the game uh, at the grassroots level now and taking the platform that you had at the Olympics and, and applying that to some benefit for our game and, and the lives of the players you're impacting. So really thank you for coming on. Uh, one last thing before you go though, we got to get a let's go from okay. you. Uh, maybe we can have Danny give a demo. He's better than I am at this. Danny, let's go. <laughs> That's our thing. We got to get one from you. Lindsay Fry. Thank you for coming on. We look forward to having you on again at some point. Talk to you soon. And hopefully we'll cross paths here at a rink soon. So let's get a let's go awesome. from you. All right. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Love it. All right. Love thank it. you. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Appreciate it. Awesome. Holy cow. Thank you so much, Lindsay Fry, for jumping on our podcast today and taking the time. Uh, there was so many takeaways that honestly, I have no idea where to start. What do you think, coach? I thought that was awesome. I mean, anytime you get a chance to talk to an Olympian about their experience and pick their mind, it's an unreal experience. So I'm, I'm super happy with that. It was great talking with her. So my takeaways, I, I say we jump right into three stars. What do you think? Three stars in the night. Let's Three do it. Three stars in the night. Let's go. So my third star, first takeaway I got from this interview, I really liked the part where she talked about, uh, I think the quote was, you're not coaching hockey players, you're coaching kids that play hockey. And I think that's a huge important piece for youth hockey uh, coaches to remember out there that ultimately it's a game. Everybody loves winning, but it's it's there's more to it, much more than just winning and losing. So keeping in mind that you're, you're helping being a positive impact in these kids' lives and developing the people, not just the hockey players, is a, is a huge takeaway that that she builds into uh, her coaching. So, uh, for me, that's my third star. Second star, like I said, she's an Olympian. Like being able to pick the brain of Olympian, fantastic. But I think her story really shows that uh, you know a kid growing up in you know it was a non traditional market in Arizona, getting to play D one hockey and and then being able to make that jump to the Olympics. I mean, that's a dream come true, but there's a lot to be learned from that path. And I think really specifically, uh, you know, she talked about her role, uh, shifting roles from being, you know, first line goal scorer primarily in Harvard and shifting and accepting that role in the Olympics as more of a grinder and, and deeper in the roster. And I think that's being able to, uh, accept their role for the good of the team in, uh, is a good piece of knowledge that a lot of players can benefit from. So, uh, Danny, 
Heater, I'm going to give you the first star. What do you, what do you, what'd you have? What a privilege. First star of the night on the Let's Go Hockey podcast, Lindsay Fry, episode 006. I'm going to go to when she talked about, again, going back to just advice for youth hockey coaches. And she said the best thing that can happen to any youth hockey coach is that 100% of their team wants to play hockey again next year. And to me, I've never thought about it that way. And it really struck a chord with me. And I knew that because when we interviewed Tim Jackman the next day, I brought that up to him. And it's, it's those little types of those little bits and snippets of advice that always seem to stick with me. And I've never really thought about that because if you are that youth coach that, you know, kids are quitting or doing something there, you you probably should take a look in the mirror and see what, what's going on in your locker room and your practices and on the ice and on the flip side and more positive, you're that coach that every kid not only wants to play next year, but they want you to loop with them and coach them again next year and then next year and next year. And so find ways to make kids want to play the game because not everyone's going to make it to the NHL, but if you can play hockey from age six to 18, that's, that's a win. You're going to build friendships and have a lifetime full of memories in that short period of your life that that's more important than, Hey, you didn't listen to me. You're going to skate for the next three hours of this practice. So I love that. Uh, thank you, Lindsay, uh, fellow Arizonian again, jumping on, make sure you go and check out everything she's doing again. Cause she is just making the game better than when she found it. Check her podcast out the Lindsay Fry hockey audio experience. Uh, you can find that everywhere. Podcasts are check her out on Instagram at Lindsay and it's spelled with a Y. So L Y N D S E Y underscore Fry underscore 18. And then if you're in the Arizona area, make sure you check out small fries and her Arizona Kachinas Youth Hockey Association that she has going on. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Well, thank you again, Lindsay. And everybody listening, if you uh, if you like what you hear, we appreciate you so much. So give do us a favor, give us a like, subscribe to the podcast. New episodes coming out on a weekly basis. Uh, and if you like what you hear, give us a review too. On top of that, uh, we Danny and I are always here to help. So if you have any questions for us or for any of our guests, uh, past or upcoming, shoot them uh, our way. Just send us a DM on our on our Instagram page, uh, or, or Danny's on Project Hockey or mine on Elevated Hockey. We'd be happy to work those into the episodes and answer any questions we can. And again, uh, we're one other topic. You know, we can't make this happen without the support of our sponsors. So those guys are supporting us. We'd love to have you support them too. So thank you to all of our sponsors for today's episode. With that, how about we uh, we wrap this thing up? Here, you got a you got a let's go for us. Let's go. Let's go. All right, everyone. This is Vinny checking in with you from behind the scenes of the Let's Go Hockey podcast. Once again, thank you to Lindsay Fry. Everything that Danny just mentioned about finding her podcast and Instagram will be in the description below. So scroll down and click those links and check out Lindsay. Finally, we want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, HockeyWolf.com, our title sponsor. Thank you so much to Hockey Wolf. Anybody that plays hockey or lacrosse, please go check out Hockey Wolf right now. Please go support them. And our other sponsor, Gel Stick Sports. Gel Sticks are the best weighted training aids in the game. Hockey, lacrosse, golf, they've got it all. If you haven't heard of them, please go check them out. That's G-E-L-S-T-X.com. 
and let them know that we sent you by using the promo code Let's Go for 20% off your next order. That's right, 20% off your order. Use promo code Let's Go. That's L E T S G O at gelsticks.com. Get yourself one of their brand new Gel Sticks 2.0s. You can pre order that stick right now. Guys, we're very excited to be partnering up with Hockey Wolf and with Gel Sticks. Appreciate everybody tuning in. And until next time, let's go.